in the game. All right, we're now joined by NBA writer from HoopsHype.com, Mr. Alex Kennedy. Alex, what's up, my man? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. Uh, formerly of Basketball Insiders, but now you're with HoopsHype.com. First of all, congrats on the new gig. Um, how do you feel now being with uh, HoopsHype.com? I'm really excited. Uh, you know, HoopsHype is a website that has uh, tons of rumors on there. If you're a basketball fan, I'm sure you've checked it out. Um, you know, it's always one of those sites you have to check daily around the trade deadline and free agency and things like that. You know, they have excellent salary data. And now I'm going to try to, you know, contribute what I can, bring exclusive interviews with players, executives, coaches, things like that. Um, it, you know, I started this past week and uh, I'm excited. Uh, I've talked to a lot of players and executives about it and, you know, they all read it every single day. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's definitely one of those websites you have to check out. Um, I've been reading it for a long time and now um, it's really cool to be part of their staff. Well, I'm a big fan of what you do. You do great work, whether it was basketball insiders and now with Hoops Hype. So looking forward to, to what you do in the future with them. Um, Thank you. No problem, man. Um, you know me, Alex. I'm a big Knicks fan, and you really have no idea what's going on here, uh, up here in New York with the trades and Melo and Phil Jackson and the whole turmoil going on with the Knicks, man. Um, can you kind of <laughs> explain it or kind of help me – kind of make me feel better about this whole situation where what do you think the Knicks are going to do? What what should Melo do? And do you feel any way of how Phil Jackson has kind of orchestrated this whole thing? Well, it's gotten kind of messy, uh, for sure. Um, it seems like Phil Jackson wants to move on from Carmelo Anthony and, you know, build around Porzingis going forward. And I think that makes sense. Uh, if he feels like you know, their window is closed and, you know, signing veterans this past off season didn't really work. Then, you know, the next uh, logical step would be, you know, building around Porzingis and trying to bring in young players and uh, draft picks, because I, I think, you know, from the start of this whole Porzingis uh, era, <laughs> we kind of saw that it, it was going to be really tough for uh, Carmelo Anthony and Chris Haps Porzingis primes to line up. Um, Melo is just so much older that it was kind of clear that uh, even with Porzingis being ahead of schedule and being able to produce his rookie season, I think everyone saw that they were on very different career trajectories. Uh, you have to put you know similar age players around Porzingis, and that's what they want to do. Um, you know, it does make me wonder. You know, should Phil Jackson have given Melo a no trade clause and 15% trade kicker and all these things? If you look back to you know a few off seasons ago it was pretty clear that Melo was going to re-sign with the Knicks. You know, the Chicago Bulls intrigued him, but Melo has stated multiple times now that he was going to re-sign with the Knicks. He wanted to be in New York. They had the most money to offer, you know, all these different reasons. So, you know, it, really, I don't think Jackson had to offer those things that now have given him control over this process. Um, you know, had he not given him a no-trade clause, you know, if you even if you just give him a trade kicker, then Phil Jackson today could trade him to a team as a rental or, you know, because he's under contract, you could trade him to a team for a few years and get, you know, some young pieces and picks and all that, and you wouldn't need his consent. But now, with uh, the no-trade clause, he can kind of force his way to a certain team, and that's why you're hearing Cleveland or Los Angeles to go join the Clippers. You know, he wants to win, and, and that, you know, severely limits what Phil Jackson can do. So that makes his job very, uh, you know, a lot tougher now, but he kind of set himself up for this. So it, it makes me wonder if he, if he regrets that. I'm sure he does. 
Now, with the whole no trade clause scenario, for those that don't know, you know, maybe even me, when Melo has this no trade clause, and if if the team wants to send him to, for example, the Clippers, does he? I know he has the final say to say, you know what, I I do want to go there or I don't want to go there, but does he has does he have the say on who should he be traded for? For example, if Melo finds out, all right, Phil has a deal in place for you for uh, Blake Griffin and, and, and Austin Rivers, can Melo say, you know what, I don't, I I do want to go there, but I want Blake Griffin in LA, not be traded for him. Does he does he have that kind of power when it comes to the no trade clause? Yeah, he does. Um, you know uh, that that way uh, he can figure out who he's going to be playing with. Basically, he he gets to look at the entire outline of the deal and see who's involved. You know, what picks are involved, you know, everything that's involved. He has to look at the framework of the deal and then say yes or no. So he's going to be able to, you know, look over the deal and say, okay, do I want to do this or do I, you know, want to stay in New York? Um, He has the last say, really, and that's what makes this so tough. Um, You know, there have been times in the past, too, where a player was traded and it was reported and everyone said it was done. And then one of the players ended up having a no trade clause and they just shut it down completely. So there have been times where teams have agreed to a deal and they thought they were, you know, completely done. They informed the players and then one of the players ended up having a trade, a no trade clause, uh, and it, the deal fell apart. I believe it was Deshaun Stevenson. Uh, it was a while back, but, you know, it was reported like the deal was done. Both teams thought it was done. And then Stevenson, I believe, had a no trade clause and he said, no, this isn't happening. And it completely fell apart. So, yeah, Melo can look at who's involved in the trade and uh, shoot it down. So that makes it even more difficult for New York because, you know, if uh, if Cleveland has to give up Kevin Love or if the Clippers have to give up, um, you know, Blake Griffin. Uh, but, you know, there's other reasons that won't work. Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose can't be on the same roster because they're both designated players. Uh, they both have designated player contracts. Um, and you can only have one of those guys on your roster. So they couldn't acquire Blake Griffin and, and still have Derrick Rose on the roster. But that's a whole other, you know, CBA rule. Uh but, I mean, yeah, it does make it difficult for New York because Melo can look at a deal if the Knicks are getting too much or the team that he's going to doesn't have enough left over for you know him to be able to contend with, uh, you know, he can shoot it down. So now, you know, continuing with, with the no trade clause, Phil Jackson does have, you know, or, or any GM has that power where they can ask a certain team, uh, you know, trying to find out who would they finagle to be traded or who's, you know, on the market and tell their no trade clause guy, listen, uh, we we might have a deal in place or, or, or we're talking to certain teams about uh, trading you. Um, how does that work where does the player have to tell the team, listen, I'm willing to waive my no trade clause if you trade me to X, Y, and Z? Or can someone like Phil Jackson say, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself, contact Boston, Cleveland, L.A., and if I have 50% uh, of a deal, I go to my star and say, hey, this is what we're looking at. Will you be willing to waive your no trade clause? Um, how does that work? Yeah, um, well, he could he could go to teams and talk to them and start negotiations with them and then go to Carmelo afterwards and say, here's the trade, what do you think? Mm-hmm. But typically, whenever this happens and a guy has a no-trade clause, you know, teams know about it, and it's just a, it's just better for everyone involved if the, if you, you know what, what city the player wants to go to. Because, you know, if he's negotiating with 
Um, I don't know. Let's put some Denver Nuggets out there, for example. You know, he left Denver before, so you have to, you know, assume that a team like Denver, even though they have a ton of assets and young players and they want a star, they don't make much sense for Carmelo Anthony. Teams that, you know, are from a smaller market or aren't as close to contending, they're going to immediately think, okay, I have real, we have no real shot of getting Carmelo Anthony. He's probably not going to waive his no trade clause for us. So it just saves everyone time if going into the things, you know, you have an idea of where Carmelo wants to go. That's why I think Cleveland, L.A. have been mentioned. Boston has been kind of thrown out there. No one's really sure what Carmelo would do if it was Boston, you know, if he'd be open to it or not. Um, but I think, you know, Phil understands it has to be a good situation. And look, he could go and negotiate with a team and then try to sell Carmelo on it, too. You know, he could go to a team like Boston that maybe Carmelo initially wasn't thinking about, but then put together a trade and say, look, you're going to be playing with Isaiah Thomas. You have Brad Stevens there. They have, you know, all these pieces and assets left to go acquire another star. So Phil could do that, where he's trying to almost convince Carmelo, look, this is why Boston's good for you. Uh, we're getting young players. They're a team that's going to be contending very soon and uh, is one of the top teams in the East right now. Uh, so he could try to do that. The uh, other thing to keep in mind is the 15% trade kicker. Um, that's tougher to waive. Uh, now, Carmelo, he can decide for any team to waive his no-trade clause. With the trade kicker, it has to work with the salary cap rules. So the way you can waive a uh, trade kicker, which is a 15% bonus that a player gets if they're traded, um, it has to work in the, in, in the salary cap uh, portion of the trade. You have to always have salaries lined up to do a trade in the NBA. So the only way for a player to waive the no trade cl- or the, uh, the trade kicker, excuse me, is if the salaries would not work otherwise, and the only way to make the salaries line up is by waiving his trade kicker. In that scenario, a player can do it, but uh, they can't do it just to, you know, it, let's say Carmelo says, I have enough money. I don't want to, you know, put more money on the Clippers going forward or the Cavs going forward. I'm going to waive my, my, uh, my trade kicker, even though it's not required to make the steal happen. He can't do that. It has to be waived only in a scenario where it's required to make the salaries work in a deal. So that's kind of another thing to keep in mind. Uh, if he does get traded, you have to add 15% onto his contract. So a team like L.A. or Cleveland, that's way high over the luxury tax. You know, they have to factor that stuff in as well. So, you know, you and I have mentioned, you know, and also the media, Cleveland, Clippers, Boston. Um, to you, what are the best suitors for him? Or, or what, what what teams that are quote-unquote contending? Because, you know, Melo is, is not going to waive the no trade clause and go to the Wizards or Atlanta. He wants to go to a, a contending team. What other teams do you feel like that can be in contention but kind of need a player like Melo? Does, like, does Cleveland need him? I, I don't know. Does the Clippers need him? I don't know. Does Boston need him? Maybe. But are there some other teams that could be in the running for him? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough. I think those are probably the top three teams because if you look at, you know, let's say we're only looking at contenders. Um, you know, you look at the San Antonio Spurs. That doesn't really fit their style of play. They uh-huh. obviously already have Kawhi Leonard, who is, uh, you know, a forward that can play a three and a four. He doesn't really fit in with the Spurs culture, I don't think. You look at the Houston Rockets, Mike D'Antoni. You know, is he really going to go play with D'Antoni again? Obviously, they're a high-scoring team, but he doesn't really fit there either, and he has history with D'Antoni, and they didn't really work out together. Um, you look in the Eastern Conference, Toronto Raptors, they're a contender. You know, maybe they look to try to make a move to push themselves over the edge, right. but would Carmelo waive his no trade clause for Toronto? I don't necessarily see that happening. I, I, don't, I don't believe he would. Um, so that leaves you with, you know, the three teams we talked about, uh, 
you know, unless you want to put, you know, some other teams in there that are real fringe contenders, you know, those are kind of the three teams that are left. Um, you know, the Clippers, they want to win badly right now. Um, you know, they have Car- uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin coming up on free agency. So they're trying to really go, really go in all, uh, really go all in on this year and uh, try to win. So they're obviously a uh, suitor and they're interested. Um, the Celtics, I'm not sure what they would give up because they like the fact that they have this young core and uh, they have great chemistry with that team. And they have great assets moving forward. They have a ton of first-round picks coming in from the Nets. They already have, you know, young players in that roster. Every time a star player is going to become available, they'll be mentioned because of their assets. But, you know, I'm not sure Carmelo is the guy that they would give up a ton for just because he is a bit older than their other players. And, you know, he doesn't really fit Brad Stevens' style play. The Cavs, you know, that's kind of tough. Kevin Love was mentioned. I'm not sure they'll give up Kevin Love, but they're a team that, you know, they want to win championships now, so it's possible, but uh, I, I don't really know. It's going to be really interesting to see what teams are willing to give up. Now, with with what I was seeing and reading uh, yesterday, the fact that if the Knicks were to do a deal with the Clippers, don't expect Blake Griffin, Jordan, CP3 to be involved in the deal. Expect people like you know Rivers and J.J. Redick and Jamal Crawford, you know, and to a guy like Melo, multiple-time All-Star, we get all that. But, it, like, how does that show, like, the Knicks are desperate just to get rid of Melo where they, they, won't, they won't even be getting an All-Star back in return just to get rid of him, maybe get draft picks and some core players. But um, are, are the Knicks really that that thirsty and desperate to get rid of Melo where they, they don't get Jordan CP3 or Blake Griffin back in a deal? Well, I think that, you know, is really because of Carmelo having so much power over the process. When you only have, you know, a couple teams that you can send them to, you have to look at every single one of those options and say, okay, what's the best trade offer, you know, you'll be willing to to give us, you know, and then you go to each team and try to figure out, okay, what's the best offer from the Cavs? What's the best offer from the Clippers? What's the best offer from the Celtics? And then you kind of pick your favorite one. Um, You know, if he didn't have that no trade clause, then you could talk to other teams and you could open it up to smaller markets and teams with a bunch of draft picks and young assets and things like that. But um, I think for the Clippers or another team like that, you know, or the Cavs, they know that there's really not a ton of competition because Carmelo can, you know, shoot down any trade he wants to. So why would you give up a guy like Chris Paul or DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin? Um, and especially when you take the fact that, you know, Griffin, he, he's out, he's out of it because he can't be traded for Derek Rose. They can't be on the same roster. So, you're left with DeAndre Jordan or Chris Paul. You know, they feel like they can re-sign Chris Paul, I think. They, they've been, you know, in the past, he, he re-signed already once, and he's been happy in L.A. and, you know, likes those guys on that squad. So, you know, I, I think it's tough to give up one of those guys for a guy like Carmelo, who has been struggling lately. He, he's not an all-star this year. Obviously, uh, he's had some difficulty elevating that team and uh, into a contender. So, I understand it. Uh, it's difficult for Knicks fans, though, because, you know, no fan's going to want to hear, okay, all we're going to get is role players. But right. at the end of the day, that's kind of where they're stuck in. You know, that's the position they're stuck in. What if we just traded Melo for Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari and act like this whole thing never happened? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I, I think. You know, that would be, be the most interesting scenario of all, wouldn't it? If it is, you know, <laughs> let's just re- undo this thing. You know, I, I don't think the Knicks get as many picks back, but uh, 
that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> so, see so, Carmelo back in Denver. Yeah, I mean, so basically, Alex, uh, when you when we all try to break it down, it, it's it's either gonna come, it's gonna be, it's gonna come down to whether Melo can withstand Phil trying to trade him, um, him staying, or, or or Phil Jackson say, you know what, I can't trade Melo because he won't waive the no trade clause. You know what? I'm going to go back to L.A., I'm going to do my thing with the Lakers or just retire from everything. Are, are we going to come down to that point where neither guy is going to budge until somebody says, you know what, well, I, I give it. Yeah, it's either going to be Phil or Mellow Budge or it's going to be one of these teams like the Cavaliers or the Clippers or the Celtics budge. Um, I think those are the three options really because, you know, if the Cavaliers all of a sudden start losing a bunch of games or – the Celtics start losing a bunch of games. They may increase their offer and change their offer. And then all of a sudden, you can find a scenario where Phil gets what he wants. He can trade Carmelo and get some pieces back. Carmelo gets what he wants, going to a team that he wants to be on and contend with. And then the team realizes, okay, we actually have to give him some more pieces. And then they ultimately get what they want, Carmelo. So that's the other option here, that one of these uh, potential suitors budge as well. Uh, if it comes down to Phil versus Melo, you know, that's pretty interesting. I think that... The Porzingis draft pick does give uh, Phil Jackson, you know, something that he can point to and say, you know, I'm building around these young guys. I need some more time. So if he wants to stay, I think they'll keep him. Uh, whether he'll go to L.A. or not, I'm not real sure. I, I don't think that is a you know, scenario he's considering as much anymore. Um, it's a possibility, but it seems like he's committed to this Knicks team for at least a while longer. So I'm not real sure. I think he wants to see the Porzingis thing and, See how that unfolds. If he can build around Porzingis going forward, if that doesn't work, maybe he decides to retire and you know do something else. But I think he wants to see what he can do with Porzingis for a while. I think a lot of fans, uh, a lot of Nick fans here, I wouldn't say the word faith, but would have a, a little more trust in Phil, or you know, with how he makes trades. Where if he's gonna trade Melo. And his track record here with making trades with the Knicks hasn't been all that great. Where you traded Chandler and Felton, then you get Calderon and Dalabair back, and then you trade Jr. and Shump, uh, Shumper, and you really got nothing in return. And now you're looking at trading your best player for I have no idea. A lot of fans will kind of will kind of sit back and say, you know what? If Phil did a good job with the first two trades and got draft picks or, or good players, then trading Melo would not be as difficult knowing that he, he he's over two with uh with trades it kind of makes the Knicks fan feel like you know what if he messed up with with J.R. and Shumpert and messed up with Tyson Chandler and Ray Felton he might he might totally mess up with Carmelo Anthony and not not just care with what he gets back in return because we have no idea if he's even going to stay after that yeah I completely understand that anxiety in New York it makes a lot of sense um you know he has messed up trades before. Now he's in you know, charge of handling a really big decision that's going to impact the franchise for many years going forward. Will he get it right? Um, I think Frank Isola wrote an article recently saying even if Carmelo were to waive his no-trade clause and say, I'll go to any team, you know, he wondered, would Phil get the right deal or, or make the right trade? Right. That's a good question. You, know, you, you threw uh, those, those other trades out there that you know, he's kind of struggled with. Um, I already mentioned that I had issues with uh, the fact that he gave Melo the no-trade clause and trade kicker. I think that's something he regrets. You look at his free agent signing this past offseason, had those worked out, you know, New York's in a very different position. So you can question a lot of his moves. Uh, so I, I totally understand that uh, he hasn't really earned that trust yet. 
my my final one with the Knicks. Uh, I, again, everybody wants Porzingis to be like the, the the new Dirk, the savior, the main guy, the the, the franchise of the Knicks. I I totally get it. I, I'm a big fan of his. But do you feel like in just year two and and trying to get your nine time All Star out of New York, do you feel like this? And he, for the record, he he was playing better uh, this year than, than last year. Then he then he then he got the injury, so he has a minor setback. But do you feel like the weight of the pressure on Porzingis is, is going to be insurmountable? That in only year two, a lot of people and and fans and media are looking for this this twenty twenty one year old kid to lift up this franchise that that has been dormant of a championship since the 70s and uh, multiple playoff berths. Is it too much pressure for this guy so so quick? That's a great question. It's very possible. And that's why I didn't really understand why Phil wants to push Carmelo out so soon. Um, there's no rush to trade him. And he's happy in New right. York. Um, you know, he's not complaining. He's not asking to be traded. All this stuff was stuff that Phil, you know, Phil started. And Phil started, you know, shopping him around and, you know, saying they were going to move on from him. And, you know, the leak, uh, there was an article written by Phil's close friend saying that, you know, Carmelo has been, it hasn't worked out and Carmelo, you know, outlived his usefulness, like things like that. You know, I don't understand why Phil has kind of taken this approach, especially when Carmelo seems like, first of all, he's okay mentoring Porzingis and, you know, kind of taking some of that pressure off of him. He's willing to have the back page stories be about him and, you know, have the pressure fall on his shoulders and have the losses fall on his shoulders. You know, I, I think that's one thing that in recent years you have to give Carmelo credit for. You know, he's been a class act, whether it's George Carl calling him out or Phil Jackson going to the media or, you know, these latest reports. You know, Phil, I, I think Carmelo's handled everything perfectly and, you know, hasn't, you know, flipped out, hasn't responded through the media, hasn't uh, gotten upset. You know, he's he's done an excellent job of uh, handling, you know, all of that drama in recent years um so i want him there still you know as a mentor for zingas and um you know i know it's harder to lose games and you know try to be a top lottery team and you know go after young players if, if he's there and you're you know in the middle of the pack but that's i, I don't think that you know they had any reason to, to trade carmelo yet and put all of that on Porzingis' shoulders now if it does happen i do think Porzingis is mature beyond his years so i think that kind of helps him in a market like New York with the pressure that's going to be on him and, you know, all the media kind of looking at him and the fan base. Uh, fortunately, he's very mature. He's, uh, you know, he's shown he's ahead of the curve in terms of his, uh, his development. And I think, you know, the fact that he has matured so quickly and been ahead of the curve and played so well at a young age, I think, you know, he's already kind of won over some of those Knicks fans and media. And the fact that he, he's so hard to guard, too. I, I mean, I have a hard time looking at Porzingis and saying, okay, he's not going to work out. He's not going to make it. Just because you look at the fact that he can score inside and out. He has all the, you know, fundamentals and the things you'd want in a, a big man in today's NBA mm-hmm. for his skill set. You know, I, I think he's going to be okay. It's just a matter of, like you said, you know, will he be surrounded by negativity and drama? You don't want that. So hopefully that doesn't happen going forward and he doesn't have to, you know, carry the weight of a franchise on his shoulders. If it does happen, you know, he's one of the few guys that feel okay with that, you know, having that burden. But hopefully it doesn't come to that. Uh, I mean, my thing is everything can be, you know, Melo's fault. I, I don't know why people would do that. But um, for, for what you've been able to see, 
uh, with the Knicks so far this season. Uh, I, I guess I guess the only thing that we can hold on to is that well, the Knicks. You know, we were third in the Eastern Conference in in December. That's the only thing we can you know hold our hands to now. But right now, I have no idea what record they are. They're probably eleventh, twelfth in the Eastern Conference. I don't think it's all. Mellow. Oh, yeah. I don't think I, I I don't think it's all mellow. But you as a fan and, and for what you do. What is the problem, or what are the problems with the Knicks today? Well, injuries haven't helped. Um, you know right. that has slowed them down a bit. I think that you know the the play in the backcourt hasn't been what they expected. I think they wanted more from Derrick Rose and Courtney Lee. Obviously, Lee now they're trying to you know move move pieces around and, and figure out what the best rotation is. But um, you know Porzingis being down for a while, Joe Kim Noah not playing as well as people expected. You know, like I said, not only is it trades that Phil's missed on, but I think if you're a Knicks fan, you say, okay, we just signed, you know, Joe Kim Noah to a long-term contract. And not only does he, you know, look older, he's not producing even right now. At, you know, averaging five points per game. Um, he's been okay on the glass, but he's not the same defender as he used to be. You know, I, I think there's been times this season I've seen Knicks fans say, you know, we'd rather see, you know, Hernan Gomez or uh kylo quinn or you know some of these other guys out there instead of noah and if he's that bad right now what's he going to be like in the second to last year of this deal or the last year of his deal um so i think you know some of those guys not playing as well as the knicks had hoped uh that's that's a problem uh, but with this team you know i felt like part of the problem with this team is they got overrated before the season and yeah they played a little bit better in the beginning of the season but yeah. you know part of that i think was schedule and things like that you know when you have off-season expectations as high as the Knicks team did because these guys, you know, guys like Derrick Rose, guys like Joe Kinoa, they were all stars. So you look at the roster, it's kind of like the Nets a few years ago. And granted, you know, they, the Knicks didn't give up and mortgage their future on this team. Right. But I think like that Nets team, for example, when you have Darren Williams and Joe Johnson and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, there's a lot of recognizable names there. So fans get really excited. And, you know, the team is obviously going to market the team as being a contender and trying to win a championship. You know, this past summer, you had Derrick Rose saying they were a super team and Knicks fans were believing they could be a contender. So now when you don't make the playoffs and you're, you know, 10th, 11th in the East, it seems like the worst case imaginable. You know, things seem like they're falling apart and everything's going horribly. But, you know, in, in the beginning of the season, I felt like the bigger question with this Knicks team is can they make the playoffs? You know, are they an eighth seed or are they, you know, ninth or 10th? And, you know, I think uh, just expectations were a lot higher than that. So now it seems crazy that they're in this position. But, um, you know, if you looked at the roster and looked at how these guys are playing in recent years and the injuries that, you know, guys have had from Noah to Rose to Lee to Jennings, you know, you look at some of these injuries, mm -hmm. uh, it's not surprising. Uh, and I think uh, it's kind of, if you, if you look at this without any bias or anything like that, I think it's easy to see this team as a struggling team uh, and, and predict that was going to happen. And, you know, even you mentioned earlier, Melo is not an all-star this year. First time him and, you know, him and D-Wade are not all-stars for the first time since 2004. I guess we're kind of in this new wave of NBA players, young talent. I mean, obviously we know there's no Kobe, no Duncan. So now no D-Wade, no Melo, or even Chris Bosh for that matter. So I guess we're just on that path to newer and young talent making the all-star game, right? Yeah, definitely. And LeBron's now the oldest guy in the All-Star game. I mean, that wow. seems crazy when it seems like LeBron, you know, being in the draft and being in those early Cleveland years, it feels like yesterday, you know, for us that follow the game so closely. But that's where we are now with, with guys like Duncan and 
LeBron or, or I'm sorry, Kobe gone with guys like Dirk Nowitzki and Carmelo and, you know, th- them being a bit older and Dwayne Wade not making the all-star game. You know, you see that now LeBron's the oldest guy on the team. And, um, you know, there were a number of first-time all-stars this year. And I think in years going forward, you're only going to see that continue when you look at, you know, Embiid, Gobert, Towns, uh, Porzingis. Um, you look at guys around the NBA, there's a ton of talent around the league now. Uh, a lot of guys that, um, you know, fit this modern NBA where you can kind of play multiple positions, do a little bit of everything. So, yeah, I mean, times are changing for, for sure. Now, speaking of the All-Star game, we had the All-Star Reserves announced last night on TNT. Um, most of them we thought were going to make it. Few surprises. Uh, are there any players that you felt like had a really good chance of making it but got or, or just did not make it, got snubbed, or did you feel like the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference both got it right? Well, I think there's three. Um uh-huh. I would have had Damian Lillard over Clay Thompson. I think uh, Lillard's numbers have been better this year, and on a nighttime basis, he's asked to carry that team, and um, you know he's putting up monster numbers this year. He's been basically his numbers are the same as what they were in the second half of last season when he was you know dominating and <laughs> led Portland to the second round and was an All NBA uh, you know pick. So. I'm not sure what changed all of a sudden. I know that the Warriors, you know, they felt like they had to have multiple All-Stars, but you're going to have three already if you look at Curry, Green, and Durant. You know, I think adding a fourth in Thompson, who's been inconsistent and hasn't had the same numbers as Lillard, if you put their numbers side to side, it's not even close. Um, so I think Lillard probably over Thompson would have been my pick, at least. Um, I probably would have picked uh, Rudy Gobert over DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I think Gobert's been more impressive. He's been an anchor for that Utah Jazz team. But at the end of the day, I get it. You know, especially with Chris Paul not making it, I guess the Clippers have to have an all-star. So I'm not as upset about that one. I probably would have put Gobert over Jordan or even Gobert over Hayward. You know, I I thought that, you know, Gobert has been the most important player for that team, in my opinion. So I probably would have put Gobert in. Uh, And then in the East, I probably would have put uh, Joel Embiid in, maybe over a guy like Love or Millsap. But, you know, I understand that too. You know, typically the coaches don't go for younger guys. You know, they put in the veterans, and the mentality is, okay, well, the younger guy can make it later. And Lillard, you know, he's had that issue in recent years, and Bede and Gobert are young, so I get it. Yeah, I was, I, I would have said Embiid. I would have said Lillard, of course. Um, maybe a, a strong case for Carl Anthony Towns. Um, yeah, Towns or Gobert. You know, those are both young guys that have played excellent basketball this season, but I get it. You know, they're younger guys. That's, it's tougher to get in when you're young. Right, and I guess you know we all go through this every year. Somebody got snubbed, somebody made it that that, that you know did not deserve it. Like, you know, Westbrook should have been starting over Curry, in my opinion. But Curry's a, a, a yeah. two-time MVP, world champion. I get it, but when you have a guy averaging a triple double coming off the bench in the All Star game, uh, I mean, that's a little too hard to just you know push it aside. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you know Westbrook should have been starting and. That's kind of the thing this year. It's a little bit different because you have the players voting and media voting. Um, you know, so there's, you can't just say, oh, the fans didn't want him. You know, the fans, I think, did vote Westbrook in. So did the players. I think it was the media that didn't vote Westbrook in. Um, well, and fans also, they had a lot of votes for, for Curry as well. I mean, they, he had a better shot of pushing hard now, I think. But Curry is, you know, loved, obviously, by fans. But you look at a guy like Lillard, you know, he had the third most uh, votes among, or no, I'm sorry, the fourth most votes among 
uh, Western Conference guards. Only Curry, Westbrook, and Harden were above him. So he finished above guys like, you know, Thompson and above all the other guys, for players at least. You know, they had him above Thompson, Chris Paul, C.J. McCollum, all these different guys. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's different ways to do it going forward. I think that you're going to change some of the aspects of the player vote moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just every year you're going to be able to find snubs and things like that. Yeah, because uh, Zaza Pachulia getting 800,000 votes, I mean, that that wasn't real, right, Alex? Come on now. Who, who voted for him? <laughs> well, the crazy thing is not only did he get, like, a ton of votes from fans, he had 19 votes from players, too. So there were players that were putting him on the ballot as well. Oh, so I'm not my. sure if that's them, like, getting in on the joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because that's clearly what it was. And the same thing happened last year. You know, he has a ton of fans in Georgia, his home country, you know, he is beloved there, and they really made a, you know, they pushed for him and campaigned for him, um, and it almost happened last year when he was in Dallas, and I wrote about it last year. Now you put him on the Warriors, so uh, he's on center stage even more, and they campaigned for him. So I'm not surprised that fans were going nuts for him. I was surprised to see players voting him in as much as they did, um, especially when it seemed like part of the reason they, you know, added those rules this year was because of someone like Zaza. Um, you know, I think they didn't want to have a player like Zaza or, uh, you know, another player that is just beloved by, you know, fans uh, from an international country, maybe. Uh, you know, I, I think they tried to, you know, have the best players in the game. So seeing players go for him, too, I'm sure mm-hmm. the NBA was kind of shocked by that. Yeah, and, you know, with real quick with the Eastern Conference, I, I'm glad, you know, people like Kimber Walker made it. He's been having a fantastic season with the Hornets. You know, they lose a whole bunch of guys in the offseason, and he's been the main guy on that roster, keeping them afloat in, in playoff contention. And the Greek freak, uh, can you pronounce his name without messing you up, Alex? Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I've had a lot of practice doing interviews <laughs> like these. That's the only reason. I was calling him Greek freak for a long time, and I was like, you know what? I probably need to learn this. So watching enough games and hearing him say it and doing my homework on it, that's the only reason. But – it is tough. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad to see him make it, though. He is one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Right. Not only is he, you know, dominant and changing the way we kind of look at point guards and ball handlers, he is the nicest guy. You know, you talk to him, he's super accessible. He's super humble because he knows just a few years ago, he and his brother were in Greece. They were poor. They were basically living, you know, paycheck by paycheck. They were selling things on the streets. You know, he totally understands that. What he what he's doing right now, you know, he doesn't take it for granted at all. The fact that he has this lifestyle and this money coming in, um, sometimes that changes guys, but it hasn't changed him at all. He's a really good dude. Giannis Antetokounmpo. There you go. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it only took me like a year and a half. <laughs> um, let me see what we got here. All-Star Weekend, we also know, you know, dunk contest. And, um, Aaron Gordon is going to be in it, but Zach Levine is not is not going to be in it as of right now. Um, that's what he said. Um, so right now we got Aaron Gordon. Anybody else that you've been hearing that's going to be in the contest? And my thing is, whoever's in it, does it kind of feel like without Zach competing against um, Aaron, does it kind of give like a foregone conclusion that Aaron Gordon is going to walk away with the dunk contest uh, pretty easily? Well, he was fantastic last year. You know, yeah, I very, think very. whenever you're a player that's going back in the dunk contest, it's always difficult because you have to think, okay, I showed a ton of crazy dunks last year. What do I still have left? I know that whenever you talk to these guys that are entering the contest again, it's kind of difficult, um, you know, to win it again after you've already showed your craziest dunks. You know, you're, you're basically putting your secondary dunks or 
maybe you have some new dunks that are crazy or you learn some new stuff and have some new ideas, but usually you're putting some of your dunks that aren't your best. You've already shown your best and you're going against someone else's best and that's kind of difficult. And when you, when you've done it multiple times, that's extremely difficult. I know people have, you know, asked Blake Griffin to do it again and Dwight Howard to do it again, you know, when they were younger and, or someone like Josh Smith, for example, someone that was doing it, you know, several years in a row. And they basically said, you know, I'm out of ideas. It's tough. And especially when you're going against someone that is kind of the, the new blood. The one guy I'll say to watch, Derek Jones Jr. He's a rookie on the Phoenix Suns. Mm. Last night, I retweeted a video of him dunking. And if you watch that, it's enough to get excited about this year's contest, to be completely honest. Um, Aaron Gordon, I think a lot of people are going to go into this saying Aaron's going to win. And I understand that. He's a freak. He is an excellent dunker. But go watch this video of Derek Jones. You know, Google him. Look him up. Uh, look up his highlights. He can fly. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if this comes down to D- Gordon and Derek Jones Jr., who can make a name for himself through this dunk contest. I think a lot of people right now have no idea who he is. Now, did, did Zach versus Aaron Gordon last year, um, I guess it kind of went into overtime and everything. Do, do, do you think that kind of battle – surpassed Dominique Michael from from 88 or do you feel like Michael and Dominique uh Michael and Dominique still hold the crown for the the best all-star um slam, slam dunk contest battle I think uh I mean it's so hard now because I think today we're used to seeing guys rely on props and you know gimmicks and things like that so it was cool seeing it go back to you know there were there were some props obviously I know Gordon had the mascot out there and he was on hoverboard and stuff like that don't get me wrong but at the end of the day, when you look at the actual dunks, you know, guys weren't, you know, relying on those things. It was, okay, I'm going to go show what I can do because I'm a crazy athlete. And the dunks were fantastic. So I think that's, you know, the, I'm not sure if it was better than Jordan and Dominique, but the fact that it's even being mentioned alongside it and is close and it's hard for me to answer shows that I think the dunk contest is back and it's gotten away from those props and gimmicks. And I think now you're kind of getting back to let's put the best dunkers in the NBA in this contest. And, you know, unfortunately, Levine's not in it this year. But I think, you know, the fact that you, you have the NBA looking at Gordon, you have them looking at Derrick Jones Jr., you have them looking at guys that are similar athletes that can fly and just do crazy stuff, that's what you need to have out there. I think that's what fans want to see. And I think the NBA's learned that because whatever it was, guys, you know, using props and gimmicks and, um, you know, sometimes they were, they were great athletes, don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, that's whenever guys are saying, okay, the dunk contest is lame now. The dunk contest is, is, you know, over. People aren't interested anymore. It was when it was guys that you'd never heard of because, you know, it was a lot of younger guys for a while there. And some of your dunk contest champs were guys like Jeremy Evans, who most casual fans have never heard of. Um, now you're getting some more marketable guys like Levine and Gordon. Um, and you're getting guys that can just flat out, you know, fly. And I think that's the key uh, going forward to make sure that it doesn't get stale again. I got a few more before I let you go, Alex. Uh, as of today, who do you have as the current MVP and who do you have as the current coach of the year? Right now I have Russell Westbrook. James Harden has been fantastic too. I just wrote an article where I interviewed Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, and he laid out the argument for James that, you know, the stats are incredible. He is counting for 60 to 70% of Houston's offense. If you look at the offense that he's creating and scoring. So, I mean, I totally get the argument for Harden, but if Westbrook is going to be, you know, winning a lot of games, relatively speaking, for the Thunder and averaging a triple-double, a 30-point triple-double, it's real hard to give it to anyone else. So uh, I have it being Westbrook. Um, what were there, two that you asked? Uh, Coach, Coach of the year? year, yeah. 
Did you say coach of the year? Yes. Yeah, I go uh, Mike D'Antoni there. I think mm-hmm. um, you have to reward the Rockets and the way they've been playing. And look, D'Antoni was a guy that when he was hired, you know, I think people criticized the move because he had struggled with the Knicks and struggled with the Lakers. But I think this team fits his style perfectly. And that was another thing I talked to uh, Maury about in the Hoop Type interview. He basically said that from whenever they decide to hire D'Antoni, they decided, okay, well, from the top down, we need to buy into his style of play. So they understood, okay, that means moving James Harden to point guard. That means going out and signing shooters. And they went out and got Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson. So you surround Harden with shooters. And then that's what really D'Antoni needs to have this running gun, you know, shooting offense work and uh, and thrive. So they were able to do that. So I think it's D'Antoni. He's been incredible. And Maury said that he what he said to me was, I wish voters could be behind the scenes with us every single day starting with, you know, the offseason. He's like, right when we hired him, he brought in fantastic assistance. He had great communication with the players in the offseason. During training camp, he told every single player, if you play well in my system, you're going to have a career year and, you know, everything will work out for you because we'll be winning and you'll have a career year. So, you know, getting a contract, things like that, that, that endorsements, all that stuff's going to work out because we're going to be a top team and you'll be playing your best basketball. And guys bought into that. And sh- sure enough, you know, this year guys are having breakout years. Harden's looking like an MVP candidate. You know, guys like Gordon and Anderson are playing much better than they did in New Orleans. You know, guys are stepping up and playing well. So, um, you know, every step of the way, D'Antoni's been really good uh, from the offseason to now. It's really hard to go against a team like this. And they're also the pleasant surprise of the NBA. Everyone thought Cleveland and Golden State would be here. But who had uh, Houston winning 35 games, you know, 34 games to this point? I think that's really impressive. Not me. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I was questioning if they could make the playoffs. I'll be the first one to admit that I was wrong about Houston. I thought they'd be bad on defense. I wondered if Gordon and Anderson could stay healthy. You know, I thought the Harden that point guard thing, I wasn't sure about that. It kind of sounded crazy to me. So it's been impressive. So now if, if Westbrook finishes with a triple-double, averaging a triple-double, but the Rockets are like top three, in the Western Conference, do you still go with, with, with Russell as MVP, or do you kind of like, all right, James Harden got this? Well, you know, in most years, I would say Harden. If, if Westbrook dips below a triple-double, then that probably goes to Harden. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have a triple-double and you're, you know, Westbrook is doing what he's doing right now, I think voters are going to say, okay, well, this isn't most years. I can't go with a guy in the top team who's scoring a bunch of points and leading the league in assists. Mm-hmm. I need to just go with Westbrook because he's been fantastic. You know, and if you look at the numbers, what Westbrook is doing right now is ridiculous. Like, if you, if I know people bring up Oscar Robertson, Robertson uh, averaging a triple double, but if you put the numbers next to each other and look at the pace back when Robertson played, if you put those numbers on, you know, Westbrook's numbers today, then he's putting up like 40, 15, and, you know, 13, something ridiculous like that. In today's NBA, guys just don't average a triple double and 30 points. It doesn't happen. So the fact that he's doing it this year, you know, on a team that's still a playoff team, it's not like he's doing these in losses most nights. It's incredible, and that's where I think you know vote, you're going to see voters kind of throw out everything that you usually know and predict when it comes to the MVP race, and they're going to say, "Okay, we need to reward this." Yeah, and plus, it, 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 it's kind of hard to uh, you know go back and or try to say, "Well, Russell is more impressive than Oscar uh, Oscar because Oscar's NBA he 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 only had ten teams in the league, and Russell's going up against thirty, so." Uh, Again, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's hard to compare eras. Yeah, very difficult to try to compare eras. The same thing they talk about '90s basketball is better than better than today. Uh, that's a whole different debate. But you know, when you look at Oscar, ten teams and Russell, thirty teams, and plus you said 
it's it, it's not a it's not a triple double where you're getting 12, 10, and 10. You're getting 30 points a game. You're getting 14 rebounds a game. You're getting 11 assists a game. And I think that's very difficult to do on a nightly basis when you when you are basically the focal point of your offense. Yeah, I was talking to a guy that, you know, a point guard in the NBA the other day, and they were talking about it that, you know, how difficult it is to do that. And then they were talking about the energy it takes and, you know, the – the want to it takes to get up for every single night like that and have a triple double on most nights, you know, he doesn't take nights off. So that's what people don't understand. There's a lot of NBA players that, you know, will mail it in if they have a bad matchup, you know, if the other guy going against them is a lesser player, then yeah, they'll attack sometimes and they'll put up enough points and rebounds, stuff like that, where you don't notice that they're having an off night. But you know, when they play a bad team or when their team's coasting, you know, they start mailing it in with Westbrook, you, you see him, on every play attacking and playing his best basketball and never like backing off the gas. And I think that's what's so that's what makes him must see TV. And that's why he's able to do this because, you know, he's someone that has that competitiveness where every single night he's going to try to destroy you. And we've seen that. I, I think that's what makes him so special. And if it can't get any worse, his big man just broke his hand last night. Punching a chair. Oh. Never, you know, that's where if you're an NBA player, you can't do that. And he had done, he had punched the court first and then went to the bench and punched the chair. So he was just like throwing his, you know, fists everywhere. That's like asking to get hurt. Uh, you know, that's just, if you're an NBA player, you can't miss two months punching a chair. You can't miss time punching a fire extinguisher. You know, you got to control your, you know, Boston Celtics player. If you had to go punch through a wall in a locker room after they lost to the Wizards, you got to control your anger better than that. Uh, is there a team that you find out there today that's, you know, over-exceeded expectations, overachieving, and is there a team that you find very disappointing? Um, I mean, I think Houston is obviously a team that's exceeded expectations. We both mm-hmm. talked about that. Right. That we didn't really, you know, see this coming when it comes to Houston and their offense. Um, I give Toronto credit. You know, I, I think... I was at least ready to put Boston as the number two team in the East, and I was wondering if Toronto could you know, keep playing at this high level, but, you know, they are three games behind the Cavs right now. They have 28 wins. So I think, you know, they played really well. Uh, in terms of disappointment, um, I think, uh, well, you know, Portland's been somewhat disappointing lately. You know, they're not playing their best basketball right now. They've dropped a lot of games. I guess Minnesota, too. I think just because every during the offseason, people were so excited about this Timberwolves, you know, core, you know, coming back and having more experience, adding Tom Thibodeau. There was a lot of excitement, understandably, but um, they're still a young team. They still have to go through some of those, uh, you know, losses, and uh, they need to gain more experience. But, you know, they're going to be fine going forward, but they've been a little bit disappointing this year just because I think people thought they'd be, you know, in the eighth or ninth seed and competing for the playoffs. But right now, you know, they're pretty far behind, uh, you know, the top teams in the West, the top seven teams. Last one, kind of a two-parter for you, Alex. Uh, what do you make of the current situation going on with the Bulls or Rondo, Butler, and D. Wade or just a- – Fred Hoiberg, the team in general, and the fact that LeBron keeps saying that he needs playmakers, uh, maybe a point guard, maybe an extra big. Which one do you feel like is more important, more valuable to them to get a big or or, or a backup point guard? Well, I think, uh, first of all, starting with uh, the Bulls, you know, Rondo has been causing some problems there for a while. You know, earlier in the season, he met with them about a trade and there was talk of a buyout. Now you have this happening with, you know, Wade and Butler. I'm not surprised, you know, 
this happened. There was drama in Sacramento. There was drama in Dallas. You know, these kind of things have happened lately with Rondo. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now where he's not a good enough player to cause as much drama and cause many problems. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you see him get traded or get bought out or them doing something so that, you know, they can kind of at least have the culture, you know, uh, try to fix the culture a bit there. I think that's what they're going to try to do. And then with the Cavaliers, you know, they're going to try to go after a point guard, but they don't have a lot of trade assets. At the end of the day, they may have to settle for signing a player like a point guard and a you know, backup big. I think backup point guard is most important for them right now just because, you know, behind Kyrie Irving, they really don't have a lot. And after losing Matthew Delvadova, they haven't really uh, done a lot to replace that position. You have, you know, guys like DeAndre Liggins and Kay Felder and Jordan McKay. They want to they wanna go, Jordan McCray, excuse me, they want to go and sign someone or add someone that has more experience so that they can rely on, you know, them in the playoffs when Irving has to come out of the game. And if Irving were to get injured, then they're in, you know, a real tough spot. And that's what happens when, you know, Mo Williams uh, talks about retirement and then, you know, can't play a game and Delvadova leaves. So they have to try to sign someone because I don't think they have a lot of trade assets right now, especially after the Kyle Korver deal. Last one, does Carmelo Anthony end the year with the New York Knicks? I don't think so. I think he's going to get traded. You know, we talked about earlier uh, which teams he goes to. It'll probably be one of those teams we talked about just because he has to sign off on it, but I'd be surprised if he stayed there. With all the drama going on there and Phil trying to push him out and the stuff going in the media, I think uh, it's going to happen. He's probably going to get traded. Alex Kennedy, NBA writer for HoopsHype.com. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, man. You too.